All right, we'll be looking at Hebrews chapter 9. And this is continuing the same theme um, that chapter 8 had. So I wonder if I could look real quick in chapter 8. And in verse 8, he starts this quote. And it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, does anybody remember where this quote was taken from? Because the next four verses continue a quotation. I mentioned last week this was the largest quotation of the Old Testament in the New Testament. Does anybody remember where that comes from? Jeremiah 31.31. That Jeremiah 31.31, if you want to be a serious student of the Bible, you need to know Jeremiah 31.31. Because what that tells us is that this new covenant that we're living under today was not something that God came up with on a whim. It had always been a part of his plan. And he foretold of that way back in Jeremiah's day. So we're talking 600 B.C., give or take. All right, now look at verse 13 of chapter 8. It says, In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So when Jesus mentioned, hey, I'm going to give you a brand new covenant. I know you've been living under this Mosaic covenant. You know it. You love it. But something new is coming, and it's going to be better. And when this new one comes, this old one, it's, it served its purpose. It's going away. And what an attack that is frequently leveled against Christians is, well, you say that you are against this particular type of lifestyle. Why? And, of course, most Christians say Leviticus says that you know, this is wrong. This is a sin. Mm-hmm. And then this person, if they have even an elementary knowledge of Scripture, What's going to be their argument against that? If I use Leviticus to justify my belief that a certain lifestyle that has a lot of letters in it is wrong and immoral, what is someone going to say against me if I quote Leviticus? Pork and shellfish. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. You believe the Bible and you're quoting um, Leviticus to justify your position? Well, that same book says you can't eat shellfish. That same book says you can't wear clothing that's mixed, uh, different mixed fabrics. From the edges of your beard. Yep. <laughs> All kinds of stuff in there. So as Christians, we need to anticipate these type of very weak, basic attacks against our faith. And you need to teach your kids about these. Because TikTok, that horrible, horrible app that it is, is full of very uninformed people making these little 15-second videos with neat music and animation and lighting and all this stuff, and they have this snappy, sarcastic attack against Christianity, and kids buy it. It's short, it's it's small bit of information that they can digest quickly, and it makes sense to them. Oh, well, Mom and Dad told me that the Bible said homosexuality is a sin because of Leviticus, Yet this person makes a good point. Leviticus also says we can't, you know, feed a bacon cheeseburger. Man, maybe my parents and Christianity is wrong or my understanding is wrong. And all it takes is a 15-second video. And then when they get to college, you'll have professors who don't know much more than 
your student does just enough to sound smarter than your student that bring up the exact same arguments. And they will beat your kid down intellectually if you have not prepared your children or grandchildren or whatever to understand this attack. You gotta know what you believe and why you believe it. You have to know what you believe and why you believe it. So because chapter nine is repeating a ton of what we have already covered, it's worth taking a moment and looking at this, I think, and because I'm the teacher, we're going to do that. Fair. All right, so, someone besides Marcus, how would you answer this attack? You say, as a Christian, that you believe homosexuality is a sin because Leviticus says that it is. However, Leviticus says you can't eat pork, yet I saw you eating a bacon cheeseburger. You don't follow the Bible, and you're trying to use it to force other people to follow it. You're a hypocrite. Well, we are, you're not bound to the law. Okay. Uh, however, we are, we're, we're actually bound to the essence of the law, which is the character of God. And his attributes, like we were discussing like two weeks ago, mm -hmm. that he is immutable. So the essence and the spirit of the law, we still follow it as Christians. Our heart is to actually want to please God and follow the commandments, being just and treat everybody uh, as we like to be treated. And the two commandments that Christ gave, love your God of all things and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, but we are not bound to the actual law because the law cannot condemn us anymore. Uh, for example, um, we can, we don't, we can follow the law, and that's why we need Christ, mm -hmm. and and that's why Christ did His sacrifice. How, however, that doesn't mean that we are not gonna love our neighbor. We're gonna be on lying and you know stealing. However, those ceremonial uh, laws like the tabernacles, the diet, eating diet, and all other ceremonial stuff, we are not bound to that, to actually follow that. Okay. Because, and when we can go into Jeremiah 31, 31, and God plans the salvation from eternity beyond, he was always to have an impact, and which is Christ. Okay. Everything you said is 100% true. So what was wrong with it? If everything he said was true, what's wrong with it? You did a great job. The way I address it? <laughs> you, you said it fine. You explained everything. How long is a TikTok video? Oh, not 15 that seconds. 15 seconds. 15 seconds. It's designed to make children's attention span less. If they can convince you that what you have taught them about the Bible is garbage in 15 seconds, and that's what it's designed to do, then you almost need to have just as succinct of an answer as that. So what you said, perfectly true, and that will get you an A on a Bible test. <laughs> but if you're, if you're doing like face-to-face -face witnessing with somebody out on the street, they tune you out. Yeah, they, as soon as you've gone past 15, 20 seconds, that they're gone, one ear in one ear and out the other. So what is a succinct answer? Paul in Romans. Paul in Romans? Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. 
Oh, no, Paul, Romans 1, 27. Um, uh, or starting 26, for this reason God gave up dishonorable passions for women engaged in natural, in exchange natural relations with those that are contrary to nature, and then likewise gave up natural relations with women were consumed with passion for another. Okay. It's restate, he restates the prohibition in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. Okay, that was 15 seconds. That was from the New Testament. It was very, very clear. Does anybody know now what the attack will be, the counter-argument? No freedom by a man. He always says that. 2,000 years ago. But Jesus never talked about it. Yeah, he also said, yeah. Paul was a heretic. That, that's a big thing. That's a big thing that's out there in certain, even Christian circles. I'm a red-letter Christian. I believe the Gospels. I'll read the parts of Paul that I like. But for the most part, if Jesus didn't say it, I don't buy it. And another argument is, like when you mentioned we're not bound under the Old Covenant, here's what they will do. They will know enough about the Bible to open up to Matthew and say, so what you mean is you believe this much of the Bible and you completely ignore this much. You just throw it out. And that's a good, that's a stunning visual. Mm-hmm. Because you got to understand, when, they're, when it's your 6th grader, your 7th grader watching a video or hearing somebody say this, and they walk up to you and say, your parents teach you the whole Bible is true, yet your parents ignore this much and only focus on this little much. That's effective against a child. That's mm-hmm. effective against a, a high schooler. That's effective against a college freshman. So how would you use only the Gospels? to defend a Christian stance on biblical marriage. <coughs> well, when, when Christ says, he, he quote from, I think from Genesis when he said, a man will leave uh, his parents and, uh, Genesis 2, 24, for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined. I, yeah, I think Jesus said in Matthew again, Yes. I'm going to argue from the first. I would not have the argument. <laughs> okay, well, you don't want to believe, so well, I'm going to walk away. I don't, I, I, I don't, I'm just not going to do it. That's fine. <laughs> and that, that's fine. Like, I'm not going to <laughs> casting pearls before swine. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to fight you today. But when, when our daughter right, has someone come up to her at... Um, what does she do? What is she involved in? She's in lots of stuff. I hope it doesn't happen in drama, but it might. But just anywhere she goes, she needs to understand. We need to all understand that this is what your kid is going to hear. They're going to hear this at some point. And if we as parents, teachers, grandparents have not instructed our children in this, like how to stand up to this, then we're setting them up for failure. And they want to be equipped to answer these questions too. Yes. When they get a job at a coffee shop, for them to answer their ass all these questions. It's very frustrating if you don't have the answer, but you know you're right. Yes. Because you know you grew up with it, and you know you know it, but you don't know where to, how to tell someone. And if we get to and actually have a personal story to tell about just that thing, mm-hmm. where I know I'm right, 
but I don't, I don't know why I'm right. And it was very, very aggravating because on the drive home, I was like, ah. <laughs> I think the passage he was looking for was Matthew, Matthew. 19.4. Okay. And, and what, what happens in this situation? What's going on? Well, it's, the background is different. He's not talking about homosexuality, sexuality, but uh, he said, Jesus, on, like you said, read. He said, have you not read that who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall became one flesh. Yep, that's it. You want a passage of scripture where Jesus defines what actual marriage is. There we go. Because if I say, here is what, this is marriage, and I define it. And then you show me something over here that doesn't match that. I don't have to tell you everything that marriage is not. If I tell you what marriage it is. is. Jesus told you what marriage is. So if what you're proposing doesn't line up with that definition, then it ain't marriage. It would be like I draw a picture of a dog, and I say this is a dog. This is what a dog looks like. And then I try to draw a picture of an elephant and tell you an elephant's a dog. It doesn't match up. It's not the same thing. All right, so the, the idea that, yes, we are under the new covenant. And you use the new covenant to interpret the old covenant. You take the New Testament, you use that as a lens to interpret the old covenant. Jesus did very plainly state what the, the laws regarding sexual immorality were. All right. And we'll come up to another one of these how to defend your faith type things. Yes. I'm going to borrow real, right, really quickly from 2 Timothy 4. And I charge you, this is Paul to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, and be ready in season or out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So the situation, the scripture anticipated our situation mm -hmm. 2,000 years ago. This is, and, it, and, it, and, it, and if we are going to be students of it, then we're prepared for it also because yes. it predicted it. And, and well, how, how are we supposed to defend it with yelling and screaming and spitting? And no. <laughs> no, absolutely well, not. What, what are the adjectives or adverbs? How are we supposed to act? With, was it patience? And patience, uh, with patience, with complete patience and teaching. Yeah. So I'm not going out there to intellectually beat someone down, as fun as that may be. Yeah, yeah that is. I because if I walk into it like I'm just going to crush this person, that that's not God glorifying. Mm -hmm. That that's that's Michael Germany enjoying out arguing somebody, and I love to argue. <laughs> I, I will pick a position that I know is wrong and argue against you because I enjoy it. <laughs> My wife, not so much, so I don't <laughs> I don't do that with her, but. With other people, yes. Yeah, he does. He does. So when, when you're getting into these type of arguments and when you're teaching your children how to engage these arguments, it's important to understand they know you're not doing this to win an argument. You're doing this to be a witness for Jesus. You need to show Jesus 
in how you argue. And I would like to put a plug in for, I'm not a great memorizer, I didn't know that. But when Pastor Sean says, write this down, write it down. So I knew where the passage was in Genesis, and when I went there, I had Matthew 19 written down because Pastor Sean had said, put this in your Bible. And so as long as I was there, then I could get to the Matthew 19. Now the next step is that I carry it in my head, but if I don't, I have my scripture, I had the two linked. When he says do that, do that. Not everybody believes in writing in their Bible, but I do. Not everybody does. Yeah, and all these blank pages that you have in the uh, beginning of like a study Bible, I have outlined, like there's certain sermons that I just like, I really dig for some reason. I have them outlined in those blank pages. By all means. Right. Particularly, particularly like cross-reference notes because, yeah. because it does it connects, there's connective tissue and each part supports the other and um, under being able to readily access those parts, it's, it's, it's invaluable right. and um, a chapter to have written down, the new covenant's going away next to 8.13, write down Acts 15 that's a great chapter every Christian should know Acts chapter 15. If you want to know why we as Christians... And the Jerusalem Council. Yes. Why we as as Christians can say homosexuality is a sin, yet enjoy eating a bacon cheeseburger, it is because of Acts chapter 15. And that link you to Galatians, right? For those of you who don't know, in Jewish law, you can't have a dairy product and a meat product at the same time. Yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> and you either. definitely can't eat pork. Can't do that. Clean it. <laughs> so you are super wrong in Jewish uh, in Jewish tradition if you're eating a bacon cheeseburger. Yeah, so macaroni and cheese with ham tossed in there? Can't do it. Or hot dog? No. Unless it's a kosher hot dog. On the other hand. No, even then you can't have meat and cheese, period. No. Right. Yeah. In fact, they'll have, uh, like, a lot of uh, Orthodox Jewish households will have completely separate food prep areas for mm-hmm. meat and dairy. Two different dishwashers, two different sets of dishes. Yeah. Okay. They're hardcore about that. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, the stuff that was accomplished on the cross, minor business, but really cool nonetheless. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> yes. All right, so what happens in Acts chapter 15, and I'll, I'll just, I'm familiar with the chapter now, but you should know it. There was this great debate early on, as more and more Gentiles were being added to the church, the Jewish Christians, they're like, well, our culture is, is kind of under threat here. Like, we, we've always been Jewish, and we just, you know, Christ is the Messiah, and nothing else changed. They knew they didn't have to make sacrifices anymore, but everything else stayed the same because it's what they knew they were comfortable with. But here comes in all these Gentiles. They look different, they smell different, they eat differently. They're bringing their culture into the church. And the Jews are like, no, you can't have that lobster brisk, okay? No, you're not allowed to bring that here. And they're like, what do you mean we can't have the lobster brisk? Well, it's unclean. And, oh, by the way, you need to get circumcised too. And, of course, they don't know what that is, so at the pond being told what that is, I'm sure every Greek male went, <laughs> nah, man. no, I, no. <laughs> but, it, but it was a big, big deal. I mean, you read your Old Testament, circumcision was a sign that this nation of Israel is set apart from all the pagan cultures around them. It was a huge deal. When they failed to circumcise their children, God would send a plague. 
And yeah, what's a big deal? What is it in Exodus like six when the Lord is waiting at like a, a, an inn at the side of the road because he's going to kill Moses if he doesn't circumcise his, oh, his yeah. son, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Which that's a bizarre, bizarre account, by the way. But it, it is a big deal. Yes, Absolutely. it's a big deal. So all these Jewish people are telling their Greek brothers and sisters, "You have to adopt all these Jewish things," and that no, we don't. Yes, you do. No, we don't. Yes, you do. And this. This could have caused a major split in the church right in its infancy. Satan would have loved for that to have happened. But what happens instead is they have this huge council. And it takes place in Jerusalem. And the apostles are there. Paul's there. Everybody who's anybody is there at this council. And the people who are arguing for making the Gentiles follow all these Jewish traditions and laws, the Old Covenant, they're called the Judaizers. And they all make their case. Peter tells about how he witnessed to Cornelius, a Gentile. Paul explains how he's been out there preaching the gospel. The Judaizers make their case. It's kind of, I don't know if it was a debate or a court case, what it looked like, but everybody got to speak. And at the end of it, James, who we think is Jesus' brother, stands up and says, okay, here's what we're going to do. I got this underlined, so I'll read this verbatim. He says in chapter 15, verse 19, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but we should write to them to do three things. Abstain from the things polluted by idols. I'll explain what that means in a second. And from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. So, four things. Things polluted by idols, sexual immorality, that which has been strangled, and from blood. Now, three of those all have to do with food. The first one is food sacrificed to idols. They would take a cow, sacrifice it to Zeus, Poseidon, whoever. Then they would slaughter that cow and sell T-bone steaks at a discounted price in the market. Okay? Some people were like, I'll buy that steak. Other people are, no, no, I'm offended because that steak was sacrificed to Zeus and I'll be participating in worshiping Zeus if I buy that steak. Zeus is a stupid statue that doesn't see, hear, or do anything. I want that steak. (laughs) So in order to avoid the argument, just just don't do it. In this case, just don't do it. Um, Don't eat anything that's been strangled and don't do blood. Jews would not have anything. They would not eat their steak rare. If they did have steak, it was well done. Okay, no blood. I know this. That's one of the things that we can be grateful for. <laughs> the only, the only one of those that is still in force to this day, is the one regarding sexual morality. So when he says abstain from sexual immorality, everybody would have known that what they're talking about is the sexual morals described. Guess where? In the Old Testament. And later in Corinthians, all that eating food sacrificed to idols, Paul says, eat the steak. But at this point in Acts chapter 15, the immediate answer to the the trouble that was happening was abstain from these four things. And only one of them is actually still in effect. So if you can tell that story real quick, hey, how can you eat a bacon cheeseburger and call homosexuality a sin? Um, Acts chapter 15, verse 19, and just put your Bible there. <laughs> nice, okay? That's your answer. Right. You really in, in Galatians, they were going to the same, same yeah. issue. Galatians is, is that entire 
thing. The law was a schoolmaster. It was supposed to guide us until Christ came. Yeah, we talked about this, was it two weeks ago, I think? And, and they were attacking Paul, the, the Judaizers, and, mm -hmm. and then he started scoffing Peter because Peter was, he said, well, you act like a Gentile when the Judaizers were not here, and now they are here, and you want to... Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. That's a good point. He did dig into it a little so, bit. So Peter, <laughs> the first pope, would act very, very Gentile-like when he was around Gentiles. He would have the lobster brisk with them, okay? He would sit down for a bacon cheeseburger. But when the Jews, the very, very Jewish Christians came around, all of a sudden he will not sit with the Greek Christians. He wouldn't eat anything that they ate. He would eat strictly a kosher diet. He was, he was being hypocritical. And Paul called him out right on the spot. So papal infallibility or not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's actually read the chapter we're supposed to be reading. Hebrews chapter 9. All right, so Old Covenant is getting ready to pass away. It is obsolete. It's going bye-bye, and the new one is here. Verse 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section, in which were the lampstand lamp stand, and the table and the bread of the presence. It's called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. That's a very verbose way of saying I ain't got time to go into any more detail. So I have a little drawing there on your sheet. Can anybody tell me what that tiny little letter A is? See, it's right there. Oh, there it is. Yeah, yeah it's tiny. Oh. It's tiny. That's the mercy seat. Yeah, that's that's the mercy seat. That the Ark of the Covenant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we got the Ark of Covenant. Let's put that. All right, can anybody tell me what B is? If you have one of these study Bibles, it actually has a picture and a label it for you. Mm. This is the only the one. That is the table of showbread. Yeah. Give it, James. Yes, my handwriting stinks, I know. All right. So what's the letter C? It was a candle? It was a candle. Now, in, the, in what I read, it made it seem like the altar of incense, which is, is D, was in the Holy of Holies. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was. Well, if, if you look at, um, behind the second section was called the most holy place, verse 4, mm -hmm. 
having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant. Mm. Now, the word having, I'm going to make sure I read this correctly here. <clears throat> I have to read a couple of commentaries to it, and they all said the same thing. The verb having should be understood as belonging to. The altar of incense was closely tied to the most holy place. The smoke from the incense, when they would light the incense before the high priest went behind the curtain, would drift into the most holy place, and it would cover the mercy seat with the smoke. And that would, in a way, shield the high priest from having too much of God, having too much God exposure, basically. It was the idea behind it. And yeah, when the high priest went to the most holy place, he would place some of the coals from the altar of incense in a lamp, and he would take that in with him. That was the light, and would produce the smoke. So it wasn't its belonging to, closely tied with. All right, so D is the altar of incense. But normally it was outside of the Holy of Holy, right? Yes, because they went in there every day. They is, they yeah. is I think, just the one uh, but not the day holy of the... Just the, yeah, yeah, the, 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 the high priest will go there with the incense mm -hmm. that one time. That one time, yeah. The, the, where the altar was, right in front of that curtain, they did that twice a day, every day. That, that's part of the daily activities of those who, uh, the Levitical priesthood. And if it wasn't the, like the purification a little less intense for, for the daily duties versus the, the Day of Atonement? Yes. Yeah, the Day of Atonement, he had, like, he had to sacrifice a bowl. I'm going to get the order out of it. It involved changing clothes, spiritual washing, sprinkling the blood, coming out, changing clothes, making the sacrifice for the sins of the people, and going back in there. Yeah. It, it was a whole very long ritual. And they would tie a rope, right, and put like a bell to make sure that he was alive. Yeah, <laughs> he, would have bells, he would have bells on, the, on his robe. So they could hear him moving, because if he died, they weren't going to go back there. No. So they were tied that rope, and they would pull him out. Um, based on what I read, the high priest, when he came out of there, he would throw a party because he survived. It would be a big party with his family and friends. God didn't strike me dead. It was, it was a big deal. It was a huge deal, because they were constantly worried. And we're going to look at some of the stories of offending God while we're back there. Wow. All right. E. You might remember what E is. You know what? I'm, I should have just the, drawn my own. That's, that's the basin thing. That, that, that's the basin of water. It's called the sea. Big basin of water. All right? F. That's the altar. That is the altar. That's where they do burnt offer. Um, the altar of burnt offering. All right, and I forgot to label it until I, after I made all my copies. What's this larger section of the temple called? That's G. This is the temple proper. Watch this larger square. What's that? I thought G was the outline. No. It no. I was supposed to label G as this square over here. What's that called? Okay, what's, what's H, which is the inside, the little square, where the Ark of the Covenant is? Oh, 
Holy, holy of holies. holies. Okay, that's Holy of Holies. Oh, that G. All right, didn't see that. Yeah. The Holy. I forgot to label it. Holy. Yeah, the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place. Holy of Holies. I like Holy of Holies. And this is just called the Holy Place. So the big rectangle is where the priests did all their work on a daily basis, multiple times a day. And the holy, most holy place, or the holy of holies, where the high priest went that one time. All right. Now it talks about what's inside of the Ark of the Covenant. There are three things. What were those three things? The rod. All right. Okay. Excuse me. Somebody said manna. Aaron's rod. Aaron's rod. Yeah, that that's the the golden urn of manna. Aaron's rod. What's the third thing? Oh, the tablets. The so tablets. The tablets. All right, now the earth, the manna, remember, that's what God provided for the people while they were walking through the wilderness. For 40 years, God fed them. So let's look in Exodus chapter 16. Bring food for 40 years. Six yep. Days a week. Exodus chapter 16, starting in verse 31. Who would like to read that? Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. So that sounds pretty good to me. Go ahead. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let me omer of it be kept throughout your generation so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Okay. So God says, I want you to remember that I provided for you. Not only did I deliver you from bondage to in slavery in Egypt, I provided everything you need. And this jar of manna will be a symbol of that. Keep it with you forever as a reminder of my provision to you. All right, let's look at Numbers chapter 17. Now, while you're turning there, this is a, one of the weirder stories in the Bible. They have just kind of reinforced the idea that the Sabbath is supposed to be a day of rest. They have just reinforced, they being Moses and Aaron, all the stuff you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath. And in, at the end of chapter 15, it says the men of Israel were out about... And they saw a guy gathering wood on the Sabbath. And they make a citizen's arrest, and they take him to Moses and Aaron. It says because they didn't know what to do. So Moses inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said, This man will be put to death. I just told you what the Sabbath is. I told you it's important. And this guy turns around and just says, Whatever, I do what I want. Everybody in Israel is going to stone this man. And they do. Well, in the next chapter, this man named Korah and a couple of his buddies, they confront Moses and Aaron and say, you've gone too far. Everyone in Israel is holy. You're trying to make yourself a prince over us. And why do you think you have the right to do this? You brought us out in the wilderness to kill us. And they just start making all these crazy accusations against Moses and Aaron. And Moses is saying, you guys need to stop. You need to come up here. Let's talk about this. They say, we're not going to come up and talk to you about it. And they're just making this big public spectacle. So God finally steps in and says, here's what's going to happen. 
everybody in Israel, separate yourselves from Korah, and he names a few other families. And he says, if Korah's right, the ground will not open up and swallow him and his entire family. And at that moment, the ground opened up and swallowed Korah <laughs> and everybody who was with him, everybody involved with that. And it says, then the ground closed back up on top of him. And the people of Israel freaked out. They were absolutely terrified. They said they ran around screaming, as you can imagine, it was a terrifying sight to see. And Aaron says, all right, everybody, calm down. You guys attacked me, and you attacked Aaron's leadership. Aaron's the high priest. So every tribe, send your elder and take their staff and set it before the Lord. And Aaron, of course, placed his in there. Aaron being of the tribe of what? Levi. Levi. So there are now 12 staffs there. And God says, whichever one blooms, that's the one that I've chosen to serve me in my temple. This is the leadership, the spiritual leadership tribe. And, of course, the next day, Aaron's rod had budded. So I mean, that was a miracle that proved the authority resides with Aaron and his family line. And God, in chapter 17, of Numbers chapter 17, yeah, we got time. He wants to start reading Numbers chapter 17. Just start in verse 1 and read through verse 11. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and get from them staffs, one for each father's house, and from all their chiefs according to their father's houses. Twelve staffs. Write each man's name on his staff, and write Aaron's name on the staff of Levi. For there shall be one staff for the head, for the head of each father's house. Then you shall deposit them in the tent of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And the staff of the man whom I, choose, whom I choose shall sprout. Thus I will make to cease from me the grumbling of the people of Israel, which they grumble against you. <laughs> Moses, <laughs> Moses spoke to the people of Israel, and all their chiefs gave him staffs, one for each chief, according to their father's houses, twelve staffs. And the staff of Aaron was among their staffs. And Moses deposited their staffs before the Lord in the tent of testimony. On the next day, Moses went into the tent of testimony, and behold, the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms, and it bore ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out all the staffs from before the Lord to all the people of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his staff. And the Lord said to Moses, Put back the staff of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign for the rebels, that you may make an end of their grumbling against me, lest they die. Thus did Moses as the Lord commanded him, so he did. All right. So when it says the golden urn was placed before the testimony and Aaron's bud is placed before the testimony, that's the covenant. Okay? And the, also the idea here is God took something that was dead and made it alive and made it produce fruit. All right. And finally, Exodus chapter 25, verse 16. These are not in chronological order. It's in the order listed in the book of Hebrews. So if you have a problem with it, take it up with the author. 25 what? 16. Actually, we're going to go back to, uh, I'll read verse 10 to 16. They shall make an ark of acaia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and outside you shall overlay it, and you shall make it on a molding of gold all around it. Where did they get all this gold from? Egypt. <laughs> Egypt. 
the spoils yeah. given to them when they left. After the, the Passover, the plague of the firstborn, Egypt could not get rid of them fast enough, and they just handed them gold. Go, whatever gets you out of our country faster. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on it. <clears throat> put them on its four feet, two rings on the side of it and two rings on the other side. You shall make poles of a tire wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings of the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put it to the ark, the testimony that I shall give you. So the poles went through the rings on each side of the ark, and that's how you carried it. No one was to ever touch that ark. Ever, 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 under any circumstances, touch that ark. And that's when it said, you take the testimony which I'm going to give you, you put that in the ark. That's the tablets that he wrote. All right, so now, neat story. First, uh, chapter 32 of Exodus. Who has not read and wants to read? Verses 15 through 19, please. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets which were written on both sides. They were written on one side and the other. The tablets were God's work, and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. Now, when Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a sound of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of the cry of triumph, nor is it the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. Okay, so, so what you're seeing here is Moses was up there, where we read, <clears throat> Make the Ark of the Covenant like this, and you're going to put the testimony which I'm going to give you in there. Moses was given a whole bunch of instructions on how to build the tabernacle and all of the furniture and stuff in here. All, the, all of this stuff, it describes in detail how it's going to be made. Yes, it does. Now, at the end of that, well, Moses is up on top of this mountain. He's been there for 40 days. God gives him the Ten Commandments written on these stone tablets. And as he comes down, Joshua has been there, not up there with him, but, you know, if Moses is up here, Joshua's right here. He's not back in the camp. Right, he's not back in the camp way down there. Moses comes down, and they can hear this commotion coming from the people of Israel, the camp down the mountain. It says, that sounds like war. No, no, it doesn't sound like war. Maybe they're lamenting. No, they don't sound sad. They're singing. They're having a party. Partying. Keep going. And it came about as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. All right. So we didn't read the story of exactly what they were doing, but because Moses had been up there for so long, they said, well, Moses is dead. Let us make our own gods, and let's worship them instead. So in spite of all the miraculous stuff they had seen in the Exodus, all the miraculous stuff they had seen going through the, the desert so far, in 40 days, they went ahead and gave up. And they melt down a lot of the gold that they were given. They fashion these golden calves, or one calf, can't remember. I think it's one. And they start worshiping it. And the words that are used in how they celebrated their new religion, this was, this was a, it would have made the people of Canaan blush. Okay? Oh, okay. It, it, was, it, was, it was not PG-13, okay? It was beyond that. 
what they were doing in worshiping this golden calf was an abomination. And that's what Moses comes down and see. He had just been up there having this mountaintop experience with God, getting the law, the covenant, all this stuff. He's feeling fantastic, and he comes back ready to share with the people what God had given him, and this is what he, he walks into. And he's so angry that he takes those tablets that God himself had written on and smashes them. All right, so now let's look at chapter 34. And I'll read this because I'm skipping around a lot. Verse 34, verse 1. Chapter 34, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. <laughs> verse 4. <laughs> so Moses, I'm in verse 4 now. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stones. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord, Yahweh. And then Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, The Yahweh, Yahweh, a God of merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And upon hearing all these terrible things, it says, Moses quickly bowed his head to the earth and worshipped. And he said, If I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. So God had just said, I'm going to punish the children's children for their father's sin. Moses is like, please, please don't do this. Please pardon us. Please forgive us. Please keep us as your inheritance. Moses is interceding on behalf of the people. All right. Um, skip down to verse 27. God basically says, okay. That's about all those verses I skipped. <laughs> verse 27. And Yahweh said to Moses, write these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So Moses was there with Yahweh 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he... And there's some question about who he is, wrote on the tablets the word of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And I say there's some question as to the who he is when it says, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the commandment. So I read some Jewish writings on this. Anybody want to guess? Who do you think the he is? The Jews would probably say Moses. The Jews say it's Moses. They say the first tablets were written by God, and they were immediately broken. So in order to make it better, Moses and God collaborated and wrote the second tablets. And they add all these other traditions. I'm, I'm going I'm to say the Jewish, other Jewish traditions. traditions and stuff were included in there. Now, if you have a study Bible and you have a note there, it says that he is God. Just get it out the way. Yeah, just get out of the way. That's God wrote on these tablets again. Now, Moses' attacks for breaking the first ones was that he had to cut the stones the second time. Correct. Now, the question, or a good question is, what happened to the tablets that were broken? And which set, the broken ones or the new ones, ended up being placed in the ark? 
I remember being told when I was little it was the ones that Moses broke. And I think I think I got that from Indiana Jones, <laughs> which I really like, and I don't consider it you know gospel canon, but at least on par with the the Maccabees and stuff like that. <laughs> Who has seen Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Star? Oh. Okay, you've never seen Indiana Jones? Have you? You haven't seen? You have? Okay, you didn't raise your hand. Okay. Oh. oh okay. You haven't? Okay. Maybe next week we should just watch Indiana Jones. It was a decent representation of what the arc is supposed to look like. Yes. All right. No, no, that, no, 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 that movie never was no, never made. That movie didn't happen. There that are three. No, there are three <laughs> Indiana five, Jones movies. Three, not five. And the last one was made in 1989. <laughs> <laughs> Indiana Jones died in 1989, yeah. and there are no movies after that. Yeah. Everything after that is apocrypha. Okay, let's just put it that way. <laughs> apocrypha is a really fancy word for really bad movies. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Jewish tradition. So just let's have fun knowing some Jewish stuff. They say that there were actually two arcs. One held the broken commandments, and the other held the, the intact commandments. Now, of course, you will not find that in the scripture. No, you won't. And even if it's true, it doesn't mean anything. It's just if you're ever on Jeopardy and they happen to ask you this, you, you know the answer now. So most people seem to think it was the intact ones that were placed in the arc. It doesn't matter. It's just one of those fun questions like, huh. I mean, if I had a piece of stone, even if it was broken, and God himself wrote on that, I think I would be inclined to keep it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's... But the scripture doesn't say, and the scripture doesn't say it's not that important. Like, where's Moses' body? Yes. All right, so now we understand the significance of all three items in the ark. Uh, one thing to point out is by Solomon's day, the only thing that was recognized as having still being in the ark was the stone tablets, which kind of makes sense. Wood would have rotted by that point, and manna would have probably been a little bit nasty. But when you read about in Solomon and David's and all the kings, the only thing mentioned as still being in the ark of the covenant are the commandments themselves. All right, let's look at nine and six. Hebrews chapter nine. Verse 6. You might have any questions so far? Your homework assignment is to watch Indiana Jones. The just, three movies. Just start with Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's a great adventure movie. All right. All right, so he describes the, the temple, the tabernacle, the layout, how it all worked. Verse 6. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. So now I ask you, and you should all be able to answer this, why would the priest have to take blood into the Holy of Holies for himself and for these people. And those were separate events. He would go in, make a sacrifice for himself, come out, wash, bathe, change clothes, the whole ritual thing, and go back in and sprinkle the blood for the people. 
Why? Because he's also a sinner. Before he could offer sacrifices on other people's behalf, he had to atone for his own sins. Now, why does it, it point out that on the Day of Atonement, he makes sacrifice for the unintentional sins of the people? Why unintentional? What about the intentional sins? Because the people will do or bring sacrifices for their sins yes. to the priest. Yes. All the other sacrifices are being made all the time all other 360, they only have 360 days in their year. The other 359 days of their calendar year, they were, they were making sacrifices for their sins. People would bring their offerings and sacrifices to the priest for their sins. This was for the unintentional sins, what people had forgotten about. You know, I sinned, I didn't realize it. It's just constant reminder, year after year, sacrifice after sacrifice, you're a sinner. Even if you don't remember it or you don't, you did it unintentionally, it's still sin, and you need to atone for it. So you don't acknowledge that you're sinning. Yes. Mm -hmm. You're still you're still sinning. Mm -hmm. You still have to atone for that. The whole old covenant was to remind you, you suck. Yeah. <laughs> and all these layers of the temple... You're falling short. See, the Ark is God's covenant. Only the Levites could set this up. Only the priests of Aaron were allowed in here and in here, and only the high priest was allowed in there. The common person never allowed to stand in the presence of God. You were cut off from God from layer after layer after layer of things blocking you because you're a terrible, terrible sinner. The entire purpose of this was to remind you how bad you suck, how holy God is, and how you will never be good enough to stand in his presence. A constant reminder of that. Verse 8. By this, all of this stuff here, by this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened, as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for this present age. So the Holy Spirit, like I just said, Using this entire setup, this apparatus, is telling you there is no way for you to get into here. None. And it's symbolic of this present age. This present age being the time of the Old Covenant. <clears throat> According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. In other words, these sacrifices are not going to make you a holy, righteous person. But they deal only with food and drink, various washings, regulations of the body imposed until the time of reformation. Now, what is the reformation? And I'm not talking Martin Luther here. What is the reformation that this is speaking of? What is the root word of reformation? Reform. Reform. Something is being reformed. It has a form and it is being reformed. The new covenant. The new covenant. Thank you. As soon as that new covenant starts, or until that new covenant starts, this is in place. But the moment that new covenant is inaugurated, then that goes away. That first section will no longer be standing, and the way to God will be made possible. So let's read about that next week, because it's 
735 now. All right. Does anybody have any questions about what we covered? Are you at least curious about watching Indiana Jones now? So I said I'd call my mom. She said she'd call hers. And then my mom actually called. <laughs> Wait, what? After I said that. This all happened here. So I texted her. Why didn't you make me watch it? We'll find out. Okay. Okay. So you got that. It'll be, it'll be all right. Watch Indiana Jones. And just like the Bible, the character is not always the most morally upright person, okay? He would fit right in with the judges. We'll just say Indiana Jones was a judge. He's not as bad as Samson. I don't know. Judah's brothers, Judah and his brothers were a little nuts, too. They were bad. Yeah. That's true. All right. Does anybody have any questions about the Bible or Indiana Jones? Okay. All right. Well, in that case... Um, I will see you next week.